You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Monster House presents... Monster Talk is an independent podcast production of Monster House, LLC. You can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. We want to grow our monster talk audience, and the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. Positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering monster talk listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk and look through their incredible collection for your selection download and start listening on your phone computer or tablet that's audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk so why do witches burn because they're made of wood good (laughs) so how do we tell whether she is made of wood Build a bridge out of her! Ah, but can you not also make bridges out of stone? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. Uh, uh, does a wood sink in water? No, no. No, it floats! It floats! Throw her into the pond! <laughs> what also floats in water? Bread! Apples! Uh, very small rocks! Cider! A great gravy! Cherries! Mud! A churches! Churches! Lead! Lead! A duck! Exactly. So, logically, if she weighs the same as a duck, she's made of wood. And therefore, a witch! A witch! It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Dog. This episode continues our intermittent series on magic. In previous episodes, we've covered the history of Western esotericism, the hybridization of magic and technology in the historical figure of Jack Parsons, 
the self-proclaimed wickedest man in the world, Aleister Crowley, and others. But the inescapable figure at the heart of much of the magical lore and legendry is that of the witch. But what is a witch? Is it the mysterious old crone of folklore who, depending on the story, either provides herbs and potions and poultices and curses and cures? Or is it the monstrous figure like the witch in Hansel and Gretel or in the legends of Baba Yaga, who looks human yet has monstrous powers and appetites? Or is the witch a curious seeker who takes guidance from spirits of nature or who worships the old gods and goddesses? Or is it the mysterious outsider, a stranger who moves to town right before a series of calamities begin to befall one local after another? Historian Ronald Hutton has written an ambitious tome titled The Witch, A History of Fear from Ancient Times to the Present, which covers witch lore from around the world and across history to reveal the similarities and differences in how these magic-wielding characters are perceived, revered, reviled, or persecuted. As we talked about in our first coverage of dragon lore, it's very simplistic to try and syncretize all these wildly different ideas into a single word, witch. So we can only begin to cover this topic today, but I think you'll enjoy our foray into the material thanks to our guide. During our interview, our guest, Rebecca Fox, who has experienced life as both a practicing witch and as a devotee of science and skepticism, mentions one of the most interesting facets of witch lore, at least to me, which is whether one may become a witch or whether one is born as a witch. And when doing research on the history of silver bullets and werewolf lore, that dichotomy was clear throughout various legends. The question, though, is not limited to just witch lore. In some religious traditions, one is born into religion, and some religions require performative acts of contrition or regular sacrifices or restrictive behavior or or prescriptive behavior, or regular ceremonies, and so on. And some people ascribe religious affiliation to others based on those people's appearance, or their last name, or where they were born. And there's questions of whether one's affiliation with a religion is a choice or a birthright. And so it is also with witches. And my point is that it's a complicated topic. And this is just witches we're talking about. We're not even talking about soothsayers or prophets or necromancers or seers or mages or cunning persons or roots and herbalists and wizards and sorcerers or even alchemists. Do you see my point? As a classification, as a mere label, the word witch is simultaneously overstuffed with meaning and yet woefully inadequate to convey what any particular person might mean by it. But today we're going to be discussing modern witches, as in the tradition of Wicca, which, as we will discover, attempts to be ancient while at the same time is thoroughly modern. I find this all very deeply fascinating, and I hope you will too. We've got a few more topics in this series that I feel I must cover, but this is a welcome addition, and I want to thank our guest, Rebecca Fox, for taking the time to join Karen and me for some Monster Talk. Welcome, Rebecca Fox. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm a skeptic and I make comic books about skepticism and I have my own podcast, which is about what's called The Seeker and the Skeptic, where it's a skeptical look at all sorts of topics with my friend who is a bit of a spiritual, spiritually inclined person, a seeker. But the reason I'm here to talk to you guys today on Monster Talk is because I used to be a witch. And I've since I've stopped calling myself a witch, although we can talk about that later because maybe I still am a little bit. Uh, yeah, since I stopped being a witch, I've kept up to date with what's going on in Wicca and I have lots of opinions about it, somewhat informed. 
that I'd like nice. to share with you. Sounds like an insult. I used to be a witch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got better. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess just to begin with, can you tell us a little bit about Wicca and, and what is Wicca? And what do you mean by witch? Yeah, that is, is, I'm sure those are all interrelated. So. Yeah, definitely. So Wicca is a neo-pagan reconstructionist religion. Um, in fact, it's the only extant British-born religion, or so I thought until recently. Um, so there's a, a guy, Ronald Hutton, he's a historian who's written loads about Wicca, and he's an amazing author. If anyone's interested in anything we talk about today, I suggest going to look him up. Very um, readable and interesting stuff. But um, he, he said in one of his books, Off the Cuff, that um, Wicca is the only extant British-born religion. And I just took that to be true. But recently I heard a talk from an occultist and author called Julian Vane, which is a great name for an occultist. And he pointed out that there's actually four extant British-born religions. So they'd be Thelema, which would be Crowley's religion of the 1900s. Um, he Julian Vane described all these religions in terms of cake, which I think is a brilliant analogy. So he said in Thelema, if you go along to one of their greetings and you're offered cake, it might have menstrual blood in it. If well, you as, go it along, as, as they do, right? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> if you go along to a Druidry meeting, which is another um, extant British-born religion, um, modern Druidry, is actually started by a guy called Ross Nichols, who was Gerald Gardner's BFF. They were like really tight. In fact, they edited some of each other's work and stuff. And the whole modern Georgery thing, you turn up to one of their meetings and they offer you cake. It'll probably be on a picnic blanket and the cake will probably be vegan. And huh. <laughs> which suits me fine. That's for me then, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you go along to a Wicca meetup, um, go along to meet a coven, then cake is always just secondary to the wine. So which is definitely true in my too. experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but then the fourth extant British born religion would be chaos magic, which is I don't much know much about it it's from the nineteen seventies. Guy called Austin Osmond Spare came up with it and it's it's hot right now. Anyway, if you go along to meet your local chaos magicians, they might also offer you space cakes, i.e. cakes laced with hashish. <laughs> Yeah, that and good it, too. perhaps prepared by <laughs> Alan Moore. Yeah, yes, perhaps. <laughs> so I think that really situates Wicca quite well. Um, it's one of a group of British religions that sort of cropped up in the, I mean, the 20th century, basically, although many of them claim to harken back further. Um, and when I first got interested in Wicca, I certainly believed that it was an ancient tradition. And I know you guys have talked about Margaret Murray's witch cult hypothesis and the idea that the people who were persecuted during the early modern witch trials were actually Wiccans. This is something that many Wiccans believed at the time when I got into it in the 90s. It's less well believed nowadays. Okay. But um, also this whole idea of like, it was there was a matriarchal religion that predates all written records that's like from the earliest dawns of time and they will show you cave paintings which they say look like the Wiccan gods so this idea of a very ancient religion that stretches back from the beginning of time to now and has been kept in secret and persecuted by those horrible Christians you know it's like a, it's a heady mix <laughs> to be presented to a teenager so yeah yes. that was that was the craft that I got into Excellent. I, I, I've been reading Hutton. I started with his newer book, The Witch, which mm. is I'm about three quarters of the way through. It's fascinating. But I, my intent was to read Triumph of the Moon. Which yeah, is, that's the best one for Wicca. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back and talks about Murray and sets context for Gardner stuff. But I haven't done that because I wanted to read Murray's book. So I, I've got this stack of prerequisites i felt like <laughs> so i hope yeah, you've well, already gotten into through all these right well when you yeah when you get into the witch cult in eastern europe which is margaret murray's book the best one to read on this subject anyway 
Well, not the, not the best one by far, because apparently she was quite a, you know, a scrupulous scholar in Egyptology, which was her field. But she was way outside her field talking about what she was talking about in um in that in this book, the book about Wicca or the book about the witch cult, which is what yeah. she. Uh, but make sure you flip to the back and look in the footnotes and, you know, all the addenda at the back or whatever it's called, um, because there's loads of interesting stuff about how she was speculating that Wicca was even more ancient than I was just saying. It was pre-human. And there were these sort of um, very small, uh, dark-skinned Aboriginal people of Britain that were there before anyone else came. And they are remembered in our fae folklore. I mean, what people would call fairy tales, I guess, um, as fairies. But that's where the original religion came from. So, yeah. And this this, this had a huge impact on horror literature because H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard both used those motifs in their work. And in fact, uh, Lovecraft called out Murray by name a couple of times in his work hmm. so yeah th- th- it's really the high cool. priestess the high priest in my coven uh was a massive lovecraft fan hmm. <laughs> so I, I had no end of stuff about that back in the day weirdly he's now a skeptic and we run skeptics in the pub together so you know funny how these <laughs> things work out <laughs> well you know and lovecraft was uh, fairly skeptical too so <laughs> that's true yeah <laughs> maybe that's where he got it from you uh, spoke earlier about a heady combination for a, a teenager, all, all of these beliefs. Um, so you're saying that uh, you first got involved when you were a teenager. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into Wicca? Yeah, sure. So I think I first, so I was a teenager in like the late 1990s, early 2000s. Um, and I think I must have been about maybe like 13 or something when I picked up my first book. You know, the the mind, body, spirit section of the bookshop that I couldn't afford to go there. So I went to the library and I picked up what they had and they were all the really old books. So like at that time in the 1990s, there was like this big resurgence or not resurgence, surgence, I guess, of Wiccan literature because it was cheap to print and people were starting up their own small presses and putting out these amazing books. But they were all in the bookshops. I was reading the old, old school stuff that happened to be in the library. And that's actually where I met other witches as well because people would write their um, email addresses and in the back of the witchcraft books uh, really? to see if they could know. Yeah, it's a brilliant idea. This is like, I had to use my dad's computer to go on the internet to look at email and stuff. So it's like a big thing, but still much easier than any other way of meeting people. So I met a couple of witches there. And then I met my friend I told you about, who's now a skeptic at school. And he was just super cool and, you know, like dark and goth. And we all started talking about these things. And I had like, you know, a few few other friends who were involved talking about this stuff and how, we, how do we do it? And uh yeah, so my home life wasn't great and I was kind of looking for a community and a sense of belonging and all those things. And this seemed to be offering it. And weirdly, my um, my stepmom was a shaman or, well, you know, as close as a middle class British woman can get to a shaman. She called herself a shaman. <laughs> uh, anyway, she, she used to drag us along to these mind, body, spirit fairs. So I was like the adults around me were also into this sort of thing. So it didn't seem that crazy, the idea of starting a coven, which is what we did. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was a really magical time. I mean, literally magical. Well, literally. maybe not, you know. It's all We were literally trying to work magic yeah. and it was figuratively mm-hmm. magical. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> when um, the whole big part of Wicca is um, setting us up a circle within which to work your magic or to worship your gods or whatever you happen to be doing, celebrate the seasons. And that idea of... A, being able to draw a circle in space, which was like outside the world. Um, in fact, I used to think a lot about, um, you know, C.S. Lewis and the, from the Narnia stories, the idea of the wood between the worlds, 
like being able to create this little sort of encased space where the rest of the world couldn't intrude and we were doing our own thing and sure. sort of following our own intuition. It was beautiful. Yeah. So the way the Wiccan calendar breaks down, you basically go out in out of your well for me um go out into the little, what would you call it farmland around my little town uh walk through past all of that and get to the little bits of scrubland and stuff before you get to the motorways and um yeah every six weeks go out there and celebrate one of the seasonal festivals and call the corners um which would be the corners of the, the corners the corners of the circle it's a strange idea <laughs> but um yeah points of the compass it sounds a bit like pro wrestling with a square <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so yeah <laughs> Uh, create, like I said, that amazing sort of sp- space that feels sacred, and then um, and then work magic, celebrate, you know, all of that good stuff that Wiccans do. So, what did a ceremony? What was it like? I mean, where did you get your babies? And uh... <laughs> they are hard to come by, yeah, <laughs> especially for teenagers. You stay away. Um, so basically, like I said, um, <laughs> witches usually get together. Wiccans usually get together on the eight um sabbats or sabbats or um there's this this sort of conceptualized as a wheel the wheel of the year i celebrate at the solstices and the equinoxes and the four days that cross those so if you imagine the year as a circle with a cross running through it from winter solstice to summer solstice and then from spring equinox to autumn equinox and you draw two more lines those would be the cross quarter days so you're getting together eight times a year raising the circle which is basically like saying these very evocative poetic lines of ritual dialogue and concentrating on that sort of um i don't know if you guys ever had this experience because i don't know your faith backgrounds but that sort of tingling in your body and the feeling of sort of like i think some people would refer to it as ego transcendence i don't know it's an amazing thing that humans are capable of this sort of feeling of i mean it's what people describe as religious experiences right there's, i think yeah there's a, a lot of, I, I would say you know, I, I came from a fundamentalist background, but intense spiritual engagement makes you feel mm-hmm. like um, you're transcendent. Uh, you're part of yeah. a community that's also transcendent. You know, it, it can be quite moving. Uh, usually this for me has always been about like certain hymns seem to be able to um, trigger that sort of feeling. Which I can get in a secular sense as well. You know, I, I grew up completely secular in Australia uh, so I haven't had any experiences like that, but I understand what you mean from a secular viewpoint, just how it can be moving. Yeah. There are secular experiences that can feel that way. I, I think there's been times when, uh, like, I've been at sporting events and maybe felt really patriotic and, like, the, the national anthem mm-hmm. was going or something. Yeah. And, and it, it felt very moving, like we were all together doing something as a ritual. People don't think about it as a ritual, but you're all together rising. You're moving your hands the same way. You're yeah. saying the same words as sort of a, a, a secular liturgy. Um, yeah, it, it Interesting it's way not to look even at it. a human thing. I mean, Jane Goodall has, I mean, she claims to have observed chimps doing similar sort of behavior. They'll just stare at the waterfall and like rock backwards and forwards as if they're experiencing something wow. transcendent. I'm pretty sure they don't have religion, but they're having these, uh-huh. I think it's a primate thing. Anyway, who knows? But that's what we're experiencing. And that's what <laughs> I conceptualized mm-hmm. at the time as being magical energy, because that's a big factor sure. of, I mean, it's all like new age beliefs. Um, and Wicca is very influenced by the same, you know, the same heritage that most New Age beliefs have, theosophy, and all those ideas about being able to channel energy through your body. That I mean, it's it's no coincidence that Gardner spent a lot of his life in the East. So, anyway, 
so that that energy coursing through you and feeling like you're connected to something bigger than yourself and it's even more intensified because you're there at a special specific time and it's night and you're with all your friends and you're wearing weird clothes you might be a little bit stoned and you start invoking power through yourself i mean it's it feels very powerful and then there will be a ritual and that'll be specific to whichever festival you're celebrating and they are, I mean, it's quite um, kind of intuitively obvious. So uh, the winter festivals are more about introspection and figuring out, you know, things deep down inside yourself and how you're going to work through personal issues, things like that. At least this was what it was like for my coven. I can't speak for all covens. And then the, the summer ones are more celebratory. And you've got, yeah, so there are specific rituals that sort of encapsulate those ideas Wait, that go this, along with each one. This sounds like forest workshopping. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it does it sounds a lot like that that's something i really want to get involved in actually because i'm trying to find ways to get this sort of stuff back in my life yeah um, but what what maybe they don't do at the forestry workshops is magic but that's obviously a big part of it's a big part of witchcraft and it's a small part of wicca but an important part of wicca and I think that's kind of this, like you said, it's difficult, like there's a lot of overlap and there's a lot of people arguing about the st distinctions between these things. But actually, I was looking on Google Trends the other day, uh, how frequently people are searching for Wicca, because I had this sense, just because I, I see a lot of articles about it, um, that, that Wicca was on the rise and it was like coming back. And I was all excited um, because it's an area of interest to me. And I don't know, there's just there's something still part of me that feels very like uplifted whenever I hear reference or watch a movie that references Wicca or whatever. There, it's actually really interesting to look at it from to compare how I thought about magic and how other witches think about magic and how I think about it now. But um, I think a lot of witches actually don't really think that much about how magic's supposed to work. They just sort of accept that it does. Mm -hmm. And there's almost like um, this uh, hesitancy to look too deep into it because there's something really sort of beautiful about the mystery of not knowing how it works, but just knowing that it does. Uh, but being a bit of a nerd, even back then, I had to have a theory. So I had a great book um, called The Witch's mm -hmm. Bible, or it might be A Witch's Bible. I think it's A Witch, but Witch's Bible by Janet and Stuart Farrar. And they, I think that's where I got this idea, but then it sort of became backed up by everything else I read that was about new age things, which is that that ecstatic feeling we were talking about, that is an experiencing of energy. And there is this, you know, unmeasurable, un unknown like invisible web that connects everything um so it connects me to you guys over the other side of the world it connects me to nature it connects me to you know just inanimate objects it connects to everything and that magic is like a sort of art and a craft of learning how to manipulate that web to get what you want so you're so, a jedi exactly <laughs> um, so yeah i mean that's kind of i, I don't think and then the, the way you manipulate it obviously <laughs> is through ritual words um through movements through maybe like actually putting together a few things in fact i can give you should i give you an example of a sort of spell that you might do sure as long as it won't curse our listeners obviously <laughs> I would never curse your listeners. I'm a listener of Monster Talk. Sure. Well, the, the, my listeners are always cursing me, I'm sure. So, yeah. <laughs> we'll just okay, well, then I'll, I'll tell you how I do a spell on you, Blake. Um, so, so the listeners maybe get revenge. Yeah, for your so puns. You've probably, like the most me common too. type of spell is, um, or the most commonly known type of Perfect. spell. 
is something like a voodoo doll, <laughs> although we would have called them poppets, not voodoo dolls. That's just because it's more from the European tradition. It's a very similar idea. So the first step is to create something that's linked to the person that you want to affect. So I want to create a doll that links mm -hmm. itself, this physical object over in England, to Blake over there in America. So what I do is I create something that looks a bit like him. It's imitation. I do my best. I mean, mm, uh, you probably want to steal my hair, but alas, nature has stolen it too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's step two. Yeah. Contagion. I was going to say so that. Yes. Imitation is something, making something that looks like the person. One of the Contagion your is taking something, something that has then. contact with the person. So it, I, you probably get suspicious if I asked you to like post your toenail clippings to me. But if I could maybe find. I mean, yeah, exactly. But um, we met once at TAM at the amazing meeting, like 2012, 13. <laughs> Just a Maybe fan. I could find the shirt I was wearing at the time and get a strip of that and tie it around the doll like so it's like it's clothes. So that's contagion. It's linked to you because it's been – I was wearing it when I met you, if I can even remember what that shirt is. But, you know, in theory. And then wow. the oh. third way to link would be through symbolism. So linking imaginatively to you. So what I would probably do is I'd sit in a dark room just – I mean, just, you know, theoretically, I don't have one of these, but dark, in theory, <laughs> what I do is I get <laughs> sit in my dark room with my little doll wearing a little T-shirt made out of the T-shirt, a little scrap of the T-shirt I wore when I met you. And then I'd light a candle and I'd focus on an image of you. Maybe I'd have a photo of you or maybe I'd be listening to Monster Talk. So I actually had your <laughs> voice in my ear and I'd come up with a little... Um, like a little incantation to really focus my mind on what I was trying to work magically. I'd say something like, Blake, Blake, into this doll, you will wake. And I'd just repeat it again and again and again until I really felt like it was you. And then at the moment when I really felt it was you, I would either give it a spoonful of sugar so you liked me more, so you'd be sweet on me, or maybe I'd stick a pin into it, depending on how I felt, how that episode I was listening to was going, I guess. Into his mouth. <laughs> yeah. So he stops telling puns. <laughs> so that's like it's, like, it's can, a kind can of. Also uh, give my doll just a little insulin. I'm <laughs> <laughs> but you can basically take apart all spells by looking at those three things: imitation, contagion, and symbolism. And wow. it's it's a kind of classic form of sym sympathetic magic. It's what um it's one of the earliest forms of magic. That's what people think was going on when they were doing those cave paintings of like bison or whatever. And drawing the picture of the bison and focusing on it and thinking, oh, maybe he'll give up his life to me later. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. No one really knows what they're thinking. But experts in that field suggest that they were doing some kind of sympathetic magic. And what modern witches do is exactly the same in in the way it works psychologically. Um, it just focuses all your energy, <laughs> I'm doing inverted commas, mm -hmm. and intention on an object with the hope of affecting that thing in the real world. And of course, it works because of confirmation bias. So if I do that spell to make Blake sweet on me, then I'm going to remember that this interview went really, really well. And that the spell definitely worked. Right. Exactly. I'm definitely, definitely seeing a lot of parallels between this and, as you said, voodoo and Santeria. And even with, uh, you know, more traditional religions like Catholicism, uh, dealing with relics yeah. as well, how they can touch a, a saint or something, and then that gives them a certain power and, yeah, there's certainly a lot of parallels across other 
religions. It makes me think of that um, psychology thing I've read about in psychology textbooks with the serial killer's jumper. Have you guys heard of this? Oh, yes. It was Bruce Hood's work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So people won't put on a serial killer's jumper because they have this sort of they're leery of it because they fear it's somehow contaminated with the evil of the serial killer, which is mad. But it's something we feel really deep down inside. And and you can see also Mm -hmm. why, because people who weren't sort of suspicious of contagion probably got into a lot of trouble and didn't survive. So the fear of contagion and the preoccupation with contagion are all witches stalkers? <laughs> <laughs> Nine out of ten witches. <laughs> Not all stalkers are witches. <laughs> it's it's strange because um, uh, the the amount of uh, magic that's based on will, right, and like willing yeah. things to be true, is it so An intention. Yeah, so you've got like uh, Thelema. Uh, yeah. Is definitely will-based, and so is chaos magic. And it sounds like, to some extent, Wicca is as well. I don't know about druids. I don't know much about druids. Druids but... don't really work so much magic um, that I that I know of. I don't know if yeah, I, I'm actually just starting to look into druidry. I'm just um, yeah. I'm not supposed to talk about this, but um, so I won't say any more. Then I've just initiated into a druid order as, as for for the show for my podcast. But also, I'm kind of interested for myself, so it's nice. Mm. We're going to do a show about modern druidry eventually. Well, I, I but, only yeah. know. Dungeons and Dragons, and so yeah, you're, you're right. You don't do much magic. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I thought it might be a good, uh, good religion for a skeptic. You know, if you get to be able to turn into a yeah. bear, though, let us know. Oh, I definitely will. <laughs> I'll come back and wreak havoc on you. <laughs> so you've been talking about performing magic within a group or with a coven. Uh, and also a little bit about magic being practiced by individuals. So is it typically do people just only practice within a group or, or only individually? Uh, are there differences in schools of thought and, and conflicts between people with their different uh, ways of practicing magic? Yeah, and I think this is something that's changed a lot between like Gardner's time um, when he was just starting out Wicca. Everything was you had to be initiated into a coven. Um, although, I mean, the interesting thing about Gardner is he was like, I've I've been initiated into this coven, which we're now dubious whether existed. And this is the religion they're practicing. And I'm going to form my own coven and start initiating people hither and thither, generally young, attractive women, which makes sense if you want to promote your religion. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so people were being initiated into the Gardenian tradition. But then there were other people springing up um, who were like, oh, I'm also part of an ancient tradition of witchcraft. And he can't really say, no, you're not, because he's sort of. The, the cat's out of the bag. He can't control the narrative of his religion anymore. <laughs> so you start having all sorts uh-huh. of people um, popping up, starting their own traditions. But when I came upon it in the 90s, it was very much like there were a set of traditions you could choose among them, and that's how it worked. But then I think more recently, probably because a large influence of the internet, they've all sort of blurred together a bit, which is nice because it means people are exchanging ideas about their traditions and you know synthesizing and things. But it's also a bit of a shame because you're losing some of that uniqueness of the weird little quirky traditions that existed with all their different right. takes and different gods and goddesses and different approaches to the way that they practice their religion. So I think now, mm-hmm. yeah, you wouldn't necessarily even have a coven um, because, again, back when Gardner was starting things off, you had to meet someone. In fact, a lot of people tell stories of reading one of Gardner's books, the only books about Wicca that are out, although there were other interesting things you might read, like um, Robert Graves or you know Margaret Murray but um so you'd read his book and then you'd write a letter to him and say can I join and then he'd say yes or no and that's how it would work <laughs> but when I came in the 90s into this sort of stuff in the late 90s there were books you could pick up emails yeah there were emails <laughs> and you could just sort of start it off on your own and a lot of people did 
And I think that continued mm-hmm. and still is continuing. And now, in fact, I've been keeping up with what contemporary witches are talking about and what they believe and think. And there's a lot of talk of you don't have to be a Wiccan to be a witch. This is a big movement in contemporary witchcraft circles make it very clear that wicca is just one type of religion but there's lots of other people who are practicing witches who are not wiccans and that's quite something quite important to them mm-hmm. so it's almost like yeah it's really changed like a personal religion yeah exactly and i think it's been influenced a lot by that all that kind of new agey law of attraction stuff which fits very well because as blake said right. it's all about the will mm-hmm. so what year are we talking about with gardner when, when he sort of kicks things off that's the 1940s. In fact, I think it was like 1941 that he published his first book. Things sort of canter on at a fine pace. You've got a few other people um, cropping up, as I said, claiming heritage. But basically, he's got it. Um, and then he has a few people who he's close to, like Doreen Valiente, who's this amazing. In fact, she, if you think of Margaret Murray as the grandmother of Wicca and Gardner as the father, Doreen Van- Valiente might be the mother. Because she, like a lot of the classic... Um, Wiccan rituals and texts are written by her. She came in and looked at Gardner's stuff and said, mm, this is a lot like that Crowley bloke stuff. <laughs> uh, seems like you might have cribbed some of this. Um, can I help you rewrite? And he very gentlemanly said yes. And she wrote, rewrote a lot of stuff. A lot of the um, really well-known, like The Charge of the Goddess is written by Dorian Valiente. Actually have it here. If you'd like to hear a little extract of The Charge of the Goddess, so you can get a feel for what's going on. Sure. Okay. Sure. Listen to the words of the Great Mother. Whenever ye have need of anything, once in a month, and better it be when the moon is full, then ye shall assemble in some secret place and adore the spirit of me, who am queen of the witches. All acts of love and pleasure are my rituals. And thou who thinkest to seek for me, know thy seeking and yearning shall avail ye not, unless thou know this mystery, that if that which thou seekest thou findest not within thee, thou will never find it without thee. For behold... I have been with thee from the beginning, and I am that which is attained at the end of desire. Beautiful, Wait, was, isn't it? It is, it is. What, <laughs> Very poetic. What was the bit about all things of, of pleasure? What was that? All acts of love and pleasure are my rituals. Does that include getting ice cream at midnight? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think Dorian Valiente would definitely say yes to that. I mean, that was just like a little abridged version. It's actually longer. You should give it a Google and read the whole thing. But that's my point. She was an amazing poet and she like she crafted, she Mm. took Gardner's raw material and put it and just made it beautiful. And that is more or less what Mm -hmm. bounced over to you guys in the US um, in like the 60s and 70s. Yeah, exactly. That was actually where my questioning was going. So he starts things in the 40s. And it's really interesting to me because part of his uh, uh, notoriety I think came from the fact that there was a lot of nudity. Mm, yeah. Uh, now in the forties, that was a big deal. Now, clearly people have been, uh, let me be blunt, having sex, uh, for many years now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Too many years, years, I think. So, <laughs> so the nudity is not really new, but, but it was a big deal at the time because everything was quite prudish. But by the sixties, when you have, and within that context. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, well, why you have that, that sort of free love period coming out with the hippies, and I don't know how that played out in England, but it seemed like things like Led Zeppelin getting into magic and magical symbolism and uh, sort of a revival and in interest in uh, Crowley and other magical esoterica. Mm-hmm. It's now, it, it, by the time we got into the 90s, you had um, a combination of role-playing games and uh, pop pop culture sort of making these things simultaneously mainstream and at the same time 
playing into at least in America, there was this whole satanic panic thing going on. It was like you, you had people who were saying, look, I'm a witch. I'm good. And that was completely reinforcing the uh, the fundamentalist right saying witches are real. Look, there they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how did that play out in the UK or in England? Um, well, I think basically Wicca stayed more or less unchanged for a long time for, from like, well, in its basic form, the sort of Gardenian thing until it came on the bounce back from America. And then what we got was something quite different because whilst it was over in America, it mingled with, I think you have to understand like Gerald Garner was a conservative guy and for him, his religion um, was, you know, gods are real. Uh, gods are um, maybe they're aspects of one prime mover, but the gods are real, and the connection to nature is kind of metaphorical. So it's about kind of what I was describing to you. You know, you know like you're linked to the seasons. Like the winter is a time of introspection, the summer is a time of celebration. There are these ancient festivals that link us. But he wasn't concerned with environmentalism in any, in any sense, really. Um, apart from you know everyone wants the air to be clean and nice, but he wasn't politically motivated by environmentalism. But when Wicca was in the US, it got mingled up with environmentalism and feminism and liberal politics. So when it comes back to the UK in the 90s, it's got that ancient past, which really appealed to me. But then it's got all my politics, basically, as well, wrapped up in it. It's got, you know, this kind of this concern about the environment, which for me, it still is a big deal for me. And it's got concern about women's place in the world, which again is a big deal for me. And it's kind of left leaning, which is, mm -hmm. that matches me as a teenager perfectly. Like the three things are all in place. I think mm -hmm. basically the, the feminist part was huge because that spawned whole types of wicker, which are just for women. Um, although not so many of them hang around today, um, maybe for obvious reasons, maybe they're not so much needed. And it's it's kind of, you know, politically complicated to have a group that is just for women. And what do we mean by women and all that thing? But yeah, so there was this woman, um, Susanna Budapest, who's just called Z often by Wiccans. Uh, she, she formed Dianic Wicca, which is just focusing on the goddess. So no male gods. In fact, she said something along the lines of female spiritual liberation is to abide in an all-female energy environment, to read no male writers, to listen to no male voices, to pray to no male gods. It's like a really intensely feminist. Her first coven was called the Susan B. Anthony Coven, number one, uh, which was formed in 1971. Uh -huh. So it was very like aware, politically aware. And what happened was... A, the feminists kind of took on the idea of the witch because it's such a cool, it's got the, like you're saying, it's got that kind of dangerous edge to it. So you're like reclaiming something, but it's also powerful. That female empowerment. Exactly. A absolutely no males. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got this, this whole idea. For, like when Wicca goes across from, from the UK to the US, you are born a witch. And you sometimes people will fabricate a history of, you know, ancestral witchcraft or sometimes they'll say they're reincarnated as witches um but basically you're born a witch but from america they're saying no a witch is made not born and you've got these leaflets going around from and this is not an explicitly wiccan thing but it's connected just because this whole like archetype of the witch is so big the woman's international terrorist terrorist conspiracy from hell they use that acronym w-i-t-c-h they're just a feminist activist group and they <laughs> they pretended it meant different things at different times they're just a really cool group of women doing like performative nice. protests and stuff so they said you're a witch by saying aloud i am a witch three times and thinking about that you're a witch by being female mm. untamed angry joyous and immortal which is again beautiful poetry but completely different mm -hmm. to the sort of wicker that Gerald Gardner 
envisioned when he's so yeah so it comes back and it's got all this nature connection it's got all this feminism wrapped up in it and it just becomes like an even more rich interesting tradition i've got a question just about your personal experiences as as a, a witch and again i feel like i'm being rude by, by saying that <laughs> uh, referring to you that way is it the kind of thing that you would tell people about would you volunteer oh i'm a witch and did you ever experience any discrimination or prejudice um, for your beliefs i wore a pentagram um wherever i went and so people who knew what that meant and that was quite a lot of people in the late 90s early 2000s in the circles that i hang out in people uh-huh. would you know make comment on it and then they'd either be a witch or know what was going on um uh, like I didn't really experience any prejudice. I think I, I think probably American witches have it. I mean, oh my God, I was just about to say American witches have it worse. That is nonsense. Obviously, like there's a much bigger problem in other countries like Africa, for example, with witch hunting. But that's oh. that's a whole different thing because those people don't identify as witches. I actually think that's something that right. the Wiccan community should talk about more and be more aware of because it's kind of like happening in our name, in their name. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, but I was lucky. I never experienced any kind of discrimination. I told my dad I was Wiccan because I was brought up atheist. And he was like, oh, that's interesting. And he used to defend me to people who would say, oh, your daughter's a witch. What's that about? Um, and he said, well, you know, you're like people would say to him, oh, she's messing with things she doesn't understand. And he'd reply, well, your God works in mysterious ways. So. so yeah and also because because my stepmom was a a shaman and yeah so I was in that in that Hmm. space it wasn't a big deal at all it was more of a big deal when I became a skeptic like having to go to people you know all that stuff I said about being a witch can we can we forget about that Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. (laughs) <laughs> well, that that's the uh, the painful process of becoming agnostic or atheistic about anything is that is your own beliefs change. Uh, you're not only having to deal with your own personal reconciliation with your old you and your new you, but then all the words that you claim to be true in the past, you have to like sort of somehow feel you feel like you have to justify them you know <laughs> yeah yeah hmm. and i fought for it i fought to be respected as a witch i wrote wiccan on my census forms i took it seriously it was my religion and i i would tell people mm-hmm. that and then the, in fact i went to a wedding recently so this was all um maybe i i guess i stopped being a witch in my mid-20s so it's almost 10 years ago um but i went to a wedding with lots of old friends the other day and someone made a comment about something you know like some little joke about oh this was obviously Rebecca's doing, you know, she's a witch. And I was like, oh, do I correct him now? Because I don't know. I'm not even sure if it's worth it anymore. How do you identify now? Yeah. Yeah. This episode of Monster Talk is brought to you by Audible. 
Audible's offering Monster Talk listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk, browse through their unmatched collection of titles, select one, and download it. It's that easy. That's audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk. When I decided to run ads for Monster Talk, going with Audible was the easiest choice because I use it all the time. I've been an Audible member since 2003, and I use Audible to prepare for many of the episodes for this show. Many of the books we talk about on Monster Talk are available as Audible selections. My first recommendation for Audible for 2020 is tied right to this very episode. It's the 2017 book, The Witch, by Ronald Hutton. Hutton's a historian who has specialized in witch lore and in the ambitious follow-up to his 1999 look at the history of Wicca, Triumph of the Moon, he sets his sight in this book on creating a comprehensive overview of witches across history and across the world. The information-dense volume is engaging enough to be read from cover to cover, yet comprehensive enough to be a valued reference volume for your own witch research. If you want to find the common threads between witches in Africa, Europe, and Asia across hundreds of years of legend and lore, this book is indispensable. That's The Witch by Ronald Hutton. Make it your selection and join Audible today. With Audible, I can listen to my books on my phone or in my car while I mow the grass, and I can hop seamlessly between devices. And thanks to Amazon's WhisperSync, I can read a book on my Kindle and then pick up in the same spot on my morning commute with the audio version. You can select any of Audible's titles when you sign up for your 30-day trial membership at audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk. And I strongly recommend you get started with Ghostland by Colin Dickey. To download your free audiobook while also supporting Monster Talk, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk and sign up today. That's audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk. Well, I, obviously, like a lot of people, I want to get back to the nudity. Um, <laughs> now, now, my experience in the United States, um, I was uh, in boot camp with a Wiccan priest, and uh, he was a really great guy. Mm. And I, uh, a lot of my friends are involved in Wicca and still are. And I, I'm curious about, like, it, it's always seemed extremely body positive to me. But but how much does nudity play into it? Like, I mean, it really does seem like <laughs> at least some of the rituals require somebody to be naked or or, or I've been misled and somebody there is just secretly a nude or, well, not secretly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so, like are there rituals that are prescribed like prescribe someone to be naked or is that a choice or how does that no work? it's definitely a choice um it's a, it's a traditional thing because gerald gardner was a nudist i mean he's the not so secret nudist who started the whole religion um and his um his justification for it was uh this sort of energy that we've been talking about that witches believe they can direct through ritual is blocked I mean, it's very, very powerful and it's spiritual and it can't be measured by anything, but it is blocked by cotton. So I have to take oh. that right off. Mm, mm. <laughs> Especially off the women, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know exactly uh, what his deal was and whether it's just an excuse to perv on people. But there is something very magical about being mm. in a group of people and being nude because it's like it's something you don't normally do. So I can definitely see why, even if you, you're not interested in perving on people in the slightest, it's still quite an amazing and strange thing to be, to be out in nature and to be naked. And also, I mean, magical or terrible. Yeah. yeah. 
Wicca is like, uh, especially Gerald Gardner's early forms of Wicca, uh, things are different now, thankfully, but it used to be very focused on the polarity between male and female. And things changed as like people opened up the craft to gay people and trans people and all that sort of stuff. But um, originally, I mean, Gardner thought that the best coven would be like six couples who are in sexual relationships and a high priestess. That's that's the ideal situation because the charge, that energy is also kind of like sexual chemistry. There's a link there. It's kind of like inspired by Tantra, maybe. But I think, mm. yeah, unfortunately, um, modern covens, as far as I know, get, tend to cover up. It's just more comfortable. No one's nervous about someone coming around the corner. So I, I think if you were right. practicing at home inside, you might. Or if you're practicing on your own, you probably would be nude. I don't know. I'm just talking from my experience, though. It's very... It's very individual, and especially with so many witches who are not in covens now. I think the majority of witches are not in covens mm -hmm. now. So who knows what they're doing on their own? I'm seeing parallels again, uh, this time with Satanism. Yes. Well, certainly with the, the older style performing magic nude, um, that they get into that a lot. And so what are, Nothing are up there my other. Sleeve also, <laughs> no sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> are there other similarities between uh, Satanists and the psychodramas? and uh, rituals that they perform and and between wicker and and magical spells and and things like that are there similarities yeah, that you see definitely i mean they're pulling from some of the same threads so satanism is very informed by western occultism and so is wicker so there's going to be some overlap there and you could think of wicker and satanism as both coming out of um all those secret societies like the order of the golden dawn and the freemasons and all that sort of like secret society stuff uh so they have some very sim similar symbols often similar words we talked about thelema earlier the um what is it their sort of mantras do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law um love is the law mm -hmm. love under will and the wiccan read is and it harm none do what thou wilt like they're so interconnected. They even have the same words in them and the same people who've written some of the rituals and stuff. Uh, I think mm -hmm. modern modern witchcraft, maybe, as opposed to modern Wicca, has even more in common with Satanism because, as I understand it, the sort of American Satanist movement is very much about, you know, freedom of um, separation of church and state, freedom of religion and all that sort of stuff. It's almost like a political movement more than a religious movement. And you see that in Wicca now. There's like this spells going around like spells to bind donald trump witches are getting political and they're using their the magic and i not i mean i don't it's working yeah <laughs> i don't know whether they're using it to to actually have an effect like to actually physically bind him or if they're using it as a way to raise consciousness and awareness and get people together and unite people under a common cause so it's like i think it's it's a bit confused and confusing there's probably some people who are doing a bit of both and i feel like that's also what's mm -hmm. happening in satanism maybe more explicitly where they're doing rituals deliberately to make a point and to call out certain injustices in the world and make political points so maybe wiccans are less similar to satanists but witches are more similar mm -hmm. to satanists i used to um know someone who practiced wicca and for her it was something that it was about white witchcraft and it was about positivity and and um doing good um, but I remember going to a, I think it was a winter solstice party that she had a, a few years ago, and um, everyone was writing lists of the names of people uh, that had done them harm that year or that they didn't like, uh, had a negative influence in their lives. And uh, then when they'd finished writing this list, they all threw them into the, the fire. <laughs> so uh, I've 
I'm not sure if you're familiar with that particular spell or something like that, but um, to me that seemed a little bit hypocritical. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think um... – I, maybe it's an American thing, but I've never met a witch who describes themselves maybe. as a white witch. Like, I think Wiccans generally acknowledge that, you know, that there is no good or bad. Like, we're not into that. Um, it's kind of okay. like a... Might be an American yeah, thing. Yeah, it's kind of like a Judeo-Christian invention. <laughs> good and evil. And Gendarm's it's... the great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's more where witches sit. You know, you can use magic for positive, you can use it for negative. It won't work either way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, it's, it's kind of like an electrical current. In a nutshell. I think that's the way how people see it. It's like an electrical current. Hmm. Yeah, 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 it can be used either way. And I mean, Wiccan, the Wiccan read is Anit Harm None, do what you will, or do what you will. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so they're also sort of the if you do something negative, it comes back sevenfold. Threefold is usually what people well, say. I, it, but threes it, and sevens, they're all good some numbers. Some prime number, right, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this uh, this friend also described herself as a skeptic too, and I always thought it was an interesting blind spot that she practiced Wicca yeah. uh, but was also a skeptic. There's a uh, there's a whole community of SAS witches, skeptic, agnostic, science-seeking witches. Um, I, don't, I mean, I don't know how big this community is. I found this on Reddit, so I could just look and tell you. You can go and look up. Your listeners can go look it up if they're interested. Um, because I'm always trying to find ways to, you know, still be a witch, basically. I was like, brilliant. They're skeptics. They're agnostics. They're science-seeking. This is the perfect witches for me. I, and, I find that it, to think that anybody who wants to get together and wish really hard for positive things, I don't really care. Or, you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't I don't know that it matters, but if it makes them feel better, I kind of don't care. Yeah. There was a great example on that on that Reddit thing um and the person was saying that she does uh, a spell every morning and it's her coffee affirmation and she makes herself a cup of coffee and while she drinks it she focuses on certain words um and sort of says a little um a sort of poem in her head as she drinks her coffee that reinforces that she should feel good about herself and what she wants in the world. And I was just like, that's beautiful and so simple. So I think there are ways mm-hmm. to kind of like, I guess it's like just using ritual, which is powerful psychologically to alter I, the way you think about the world. I had this suspicion that at least some people who listen to the show uh, hate listen, <laughs> like, <laughs> like rage listen. <laughs> hey, we appreciate your patronage. But the, <laughs> what, what, I, what I'm thinking about here is that downloads that if you're going to be doing magic it, it if you say it's about the will for many religions uh and especially christianity and uh sort of that abrahamic tradition if you're outside of that tradition they consider you evil right so i wonder uh where from whence is one's power derived you you talk about goddesses and uh sort of you know power from the universe i know some people believe in ley lines and that sort of thing but how much of it is your own will and how much of it is begging the will of uh, or in power of, of, of deities i think that's really shifted and what shifted it was um perhaps the sort of when wiccans stumbled across young you know like the collective unconscious and all these sort of ideas because the way Gardner perceived the gods was they're all aspects of one prime mover, which is kind of like a classic deist position, I guess. But then at some point, probably in America, because that's where it always happens, <laughs> Wiccans got into, uh, into Jungian psychology and they started seeing the gods and goddesses as more like um, symbols or archetypes. And I think at that point, a lot of 
the Wiccan community started thinking, oh, wait a minute, if gods and goddesses are just archetypes, what are they archetypes of? Are they archetypes of a collective unconsciousness, a collective you know, humanity, or are they just sort of thought forms that I have cooked up in my mind and other people have cooked up in their minds too, but is it actually just me? When I look at the picture of the goddess, am I just looking at, like, say you look at a goddess and she's wise and beautiful and all-knowing and you're like, well, that could be a real thing and a real entity out there in the world. That's how some people conceive of it. But also it could be like an aspect of myself, like my highest self, what I'd like to be. So I think that's the funny thing about um, about Wicca. And I think it's why it's so hard to talk about with people who come from particularly Protestant backgrounds, because we think about religion and we think about atheism and religion in the same way, which is we think of them about in terms of belief. And, you know, that's because we came from a tradition of orthodox religions, I mean, like correct belief. Uh, but Wicca and many other religions around the world are not orthodoxic. They're orthopraxic. And it's about practice what you're actually doing it's kind of why it's the craft it's not about what you believe it's about what you do so you could have a coven and it could have atheists it could have pantheists it could have polytheists you know it could have deists it could have henotheists which is when you it's a great word i learned recently when you believe in lots of gods but you just focus your attention on one yeah they could all be there at the same coven Mm -hmm. saying the same words celebrating the same festivals and all have completely different beliefs in their head and i think that's true when you talk about where does the energy come from to work magic probably every witch has a different Mm -hmm. idea about it and they're probably only going to get more diverse because now it's like it's out there in the open and everyone can play with it it's not a mystery religion that's passed down like it originally was one of the interesting challenges i I think for the non-theist when dealing with things like wicca is if you practice acts of will and you can you you combine those with ritual and then you get success you know it's it's very easy to say well look it worked you know i i used my will and magic to affect this change and and separating that from the you use these as mnemonic techniques and you used your own will to keep your focus, you know, and that it was you who actually mm-hmm. affected the change, you know, mm. like part of me thinks, well, if it works, what's the problem? Right. You know, I mean, like, like part of me wants to just say anything you do that's positive, that helps you take your planning and turn it into action and success is probably not mm-hmm. that harmful, but uh, and, and not not that Wicca is harmful, but I just in, in general, I tend to be very skeptical about all religions. And, and it's easy to see where there's a tremendous amount of comfort in both the group rituals and being part of a community. And that's true for every religion. Mm-hmm. There, there are positive sides to it. But but these will based magical things, if you actually follow through and don't just don't just have the will, but also take the actions and get success that's got to be seductive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I I generally, I think it's one of the most benign religions out there. And I don't, you know, it doesn't keep me up at night worrying about it. But I do think a lot of these ideas about energy and being able to change things with your mind, they can, they can end up taking, if you believe those sort of premises, you can end up taking them to some dangerous places. You can end up Believing, oh, I mean, I talked earlier about um, the situation in Africa with the witch hunts. So there's lots of people who believe that people can will things to happen using ritual in Africa. And there are some people who believe whenever something goes wrong, 
in their village that it is the fault of one of these people with these powers right. they believe in these powers right there's, so that's, there's the downside <laughs> and then <laughs> a lot of a lot of kind of villages you know exactly yeah and a lot of um like uh, alternative medicine is based on similar ideas like it's not it's not that much of a jump from making a witch's potion to making a homeopathic remedy and then that can be sold to mm-hmm. someone who has a serious illness and the homeopathic remedy isn't going to work so it's like it's not. I don't think Wicca is dangerous, but I think some of the ideas they form the basis of things that can become dangerous, and and have become dangerous. So that's that's part of my my problem with with the idea of being a skeptical witch and whether that's possible because it's it's just a weird conflict. So you said you've been looking for ways to incorporate Wicca into your life nowadays that you're not no longer practicing as such and you're a skeptic. How do you manage to incorporate wicker into your life nowadays? Well, I, I celebrate the seasonal festivals. I've been with my, my husband was with me back in the days when I was a witch. So that's always been part of our family. Like we, we celebrate the seasonal festivals. As I said, like I have friends who are still witches or who are ex-witches who are willing to do that sort of thing with me, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking of ways to like reconceptualize some of the um, Wiccan themes, for example, like the triple goddess. So Wiccans often will worship a horned god and a triple goddess. Uh, I mean, it varies place to place, and the horned god has many different names. But the triple goddess was always my thing. And I was trying to think about how to think of her as as a skeptic, because she's traditionally seen as the maiden, mother, and crone. That's the goddess of the waxing moon, the full moon, and the waning moon. And I was kind of thinking maybe I could see these as... The goddess of the waxing moon is all about exploration. That's a cool time when you're like looking into new things and trying to figure out how they work and, you know, just exploring. And then the goddess of the full moon, who would be the maiden to Wiccans, could be something like idea generation, hypothesis, you know, like I've got this amazing idea and it's like right there in my head. And then the goddess of the waxing moon could be the testing, you know, the like the rigorous testing to see if that idea works. And you can start thinking about how these ideas I mean, you can put them into a sort of scientific worldview and they could act as nice symbols or mm-hmm. reminders of how to live your life because that's a good, it's a good rule, isn't it? Explore, come up with an mm-hmm. idea, test it. Explore, come up with an idea, test it. That's kind of what skeptics are about. So I can actually see mm-hmm. maybe one day getting my local skeptics in the pub group to come out and worship under the moon. <laughs> Sounds like a book. <laughs> I think you need to write a book about it. <laughs> I'm not sure they take off their clothes, oh, though. Seems- I'm not sure I'd want them to. I'm sure they would. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Again, back to maybe that's another American thing. The old, what's the harm? No, 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 no. <laughs> Lots of harm. What's the um? So, this is coming out of Gardner, who's working off of Murray. But Murray, although I again, admittedly, I have not read her book, but based on what I've read about people who have read her book, her hypothesis was that the original witch cult was not a harmless thing. That that it was had some sort of dark aspect. Am I reading that right, or do you have any insight into what Marie thought was going on back in the day? Um, from reading that one book, I've only read The Witch Court on Western Europe because it is, like, hard going. <laughs> uh, and just generally, like you, reading around the subject. I think, actually, she was she was kind of semi-neutral. I don't. She didn't think they were evil or anything, but she definitely didn't think they were good it's tricky to say because she basically that book is just taking apart 
the transcripts of the witch trials and saying, oh, look, when they said the devil, they must have mean um, Pan or Kononos or whatever. I can't remember the god she specifically says, but just yeah. taking these things and translating them, saying, oh, they said this, they must have meant this and everything that they must have meant lines up with her theory that there was this witch cult. But what I get the impression is the idea is that there was a very pure, wonderful matriarchal religion way back when and then at some point it became corrupted and then that's what you're seeing that's what murray claims that you're seeing in those witch trials you're seeing like a corrupted version of this ancient religion which was once wonderful but has now sort of yeah become degraded yeah and we should mention (laughs) that that has been pretty thoroughly discounted yes but it doesn't it doesn't matter in the sense that people have what what would you call it they're 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 building a new religion based on a discounted theory, but it kind of doesn't. Again, it doesn't matter. Like, I, like these are mm-hmm. these are all acts of faith, right? I mean, yeah. these are. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I mean, it mattered to me. That's one of the main reasons I gave up being a witch when I when I found out that this history wasn't real. It really crushed me. But a lot of a lot of Wiccans just see it as a mythos. You know, they don't see it as history. It was never presented, especially right. like young witches today. They never thought right. it was real. It was always a myth. So it doesn't bother them to be told it's a myth. For me, it was I'm quite sure, a blow. I'm sure there's Mormons who devoutly believe the stories they've been told. But there's, I'm sure there's also many Mormons who just accept it as mythology, and but like the lifestyle, you know? Yeah, I think it's a really mm-hmm. interesting thing that happens for all religions. So Scientology, same thing. Like mm-hmm. the whole, the truth about what they really believe about Xenu and the volcano and the Xenu. aliens. Yeah, that <laughs> that happened in 1995. So Scientology been around for like 40 odd years before that, and people didn't know. They didn't know that the that the myth it was built on was a lie. And then you've got Mormonism. Like when were the questions first raised about the you know like the historical veracity of the Book of Mormon? Like the 1960s maybe so that's 130 years that religion had to get going before its mythos was ripped out from under it but wicca mm-hmm. only had 20 years because it was like the 1960s when the witch cult hypothesis was debunked so i don't know like how much i kind of think of the myth or like what wiccan's called the sacred history is like a scaffolding to start a religion off and then eventually the religion can stand on its own and it doesn't matter. Like no one cares about the history anymore because it is a real religion. But I don't know how much time you need with the, how long the scaffolding needs to hold before the religion can stand on its own. I guess it's a kind of sunk cost fallacy for a lot of people too, that they've just, if they're being raised in a particular belief system and uh, indoctrinated into it, it's not something that they're going to cast off even finding out that the basis for it is is not there. yeah i read th- there's um a historian called ernest renan he had a great quote about you know nationality and stuff he said getting its history wrong is part of being a nation and i wonder whether that's the same as true of religion <laughs> like that's part of how we construct identity maybe like we mm-hmm. all believe these lies about our country and about our religion and about any ideology we belong to whether it's nationalism or a religious ideology we be- there's kind of down on down at the base there's things that we believe that are wrong right and maybe that's a that's a human thing that we you know i think we build a shortcut to some extent because you've got people uh are always complicated and so when you try to give their history that's always necessarily a simplified version and Mm. even the most simplified Mm. accurate version is way too intricate for most people to follow so that push for simplicity leads to mythology as a natural evolution i I, yeah yeah, so so everything's going to be a myth, and that's just inevitable. 
And whether there's truth at the heart of those myths is a different question. And whether there's value at the heart of those myths is a different question. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the, the sacred history is a beautiful story. There's a great song. Um, it's a modern folk song by Charlie Murphy, something like the 80s, I think, called Burning Times. So it's, and you're going to sing it for us now. Everybody, everybody. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's, it's only three verses, right? The first one is all about the matriarchal pre- prehistory. And he says, witches were the healers and teachers of the wisdom of the earth. So that's the whole idea of that. The second is about the burning times, which he actually refers to in the song to as a holocaust. He says it was a war against women whose power they feared. And then the third verse is about environmentalism. And he says, now the earth is a witch and the men still burn her. So like that, that's, that's our history. That's Wicca's history in three simple bullet points. And it is like, I don't need to sing it. I can feel it. Like it, it feels mm-hmm. important to me. Like it's a really beautiful mm-hmm. myth. And I'm sure Christians feel the same way about their myths. But yeah, myths are a powerful thing. Was there a bit of an exodus with other people leaving too that you're aware of? Did you have friends and family who left Wicca? Or do you think most people just are rationalized the, the crumbling of their myths. I think a lot of people I knew who are my age, um, when we were into Wicca, when we got into our 20s, a lot of people stopped. I was like one of the last people to hang on into my mid-20s. Um, because, I mean, this is a funny thing about, and um, people are very like dismissive about the idea of teenage witches, but it's, I mean, there's a reason why it happens. It's like all these disempowered young people trying to figure out how to think about the world. And especially mm-hmm. for young women. I mean, that the movie The Craft came out in 1997. And that was a big deal for me when I first saw that. I didn't see it when it first came out. I saw it on VHS like a couple of years later and it just blew me away. And I think part of, although I don't think I thought of it in those terms, I was a young woman. And this was about developing power and changing your place in the world. And it's about sexuality and about women and how they like how you deal with that difficult time, like you're suddenly in a completely, people look at you different, it's a whole different thing. And yeah, so that whole idea of young women becoming witches makes perfect sense to me psychologically. And I think it's like probably a really Mm -hmm. empowering good thing for them to do because it's just a way Mm -hmm. to deal with that difficult time. But then obviously you get into your 20s, you become a bit more comfortable with yourself. Maybe you don't need it as much. But some of those people stay Mm -hmm. on and are still completely devoted to the craft today. And even though like people may have rolled their eyes because, you know, it seemed frivolous when they were teenage girls. And we think everything teenage girls do are frivolous because we don't respect teenage girls, (laughs) even though there are some beautiful, Mm -hmm. wonderful teenage girls out there with great ideas. But yeah, anyway, so I think, yeah, so a lot of people drifted off into their 20s. Um, but I can't, apart from my friend who um, is now running Skeptics in the Pub with me, and it was basically just because I harassed him about the sacred history until he gave up on it too, <laughs> took him to go see <laughs> the grave. I haven't actually taken him yet, but I went there and took a um, a rubbing of the grave of the woman. So Gerald Gardner claims that he was initiated into a coven run by a woman called Dorothy Clutterbuck. She is his link to the lineage of ancient witches, this one woman, Dorothy Clutterbuck. And Ronald Hudson talks about her in his work. Basically, it's very unlikely she was ever a witch. On the day that Gardner claims he was initiated, she was erecting a tombstone to her dead husband. And that's the tombstone that I wanted to go visit to see it for myself, because in Hutton's book, he says it has an impassioned Christian inscription. Unfortunately, he doesn't actually say what churchyard it's in, so it was a bit of a nightmare to find it. But it's in St. Mark's in Highcliffe, if anyone's interested. So I went there and took a rubbing. I was really into this. I really wanted to see for myself whether what this historian was saying about my religion was true. And it was. There was a very impassioned Christian inscription. The dates all match up. Looks like she wasn't really there. Um, she wasn't really a witch. Obviously, she was. she's a real person, but she wasn't really a witch. And I what? presented all this evidence to my friend. He was like, okay, fine. I give up. 
Wow. <laughs> What's her name again? Dorothy Clutterbuck. See, that that sounds like a wizarding name. She it's a great like a muggle, name. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah, she's... Um, very English. She kept her uh, diaries, so we actually know what a lot of what she was thinking and what her life was like, and it just doesn't seem like there's realistically space for her to be a witch. I mean, the general thought, I think, is that Gardner may have used her name as a joke because she was like this really rich, respectable, pious woman, and also because it's a cool name. Or he may have been covering up yeah. for another mysterious woman. Um, there was a woman who was his uh. first high <laughs> priestess called Daffo. I don't know much about her, but maybe he was just using... Dorothy's name as a cover for this other woman but basically once you break mm. that the person who you claim to link you to the ancient tradition once you realize that they are not who you say they are it kind of like everything else falls apart there is a, a, a the BBC did a documentary about witches featuring Hutton uh, it seems like most of the stuff's based on his material and um, they talked about the the rise of Wicked I, I could put a link to that in the show notes that might be I think good. I've seen that documentary. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, it is quite he's good. A, yeah. He's yeah. so charming. He's a he's he just is. a cool guy, and he talks a lot of Wiccan festivals and neo pagan things. Like he's not, and I hope I'm not disrespectful to these these customs and these religions when I talk about them because I think they're amazing and fascinating and beautiful, and I kind of want to be still doing it. So, but yeah, that's where mm -hmm. Ronald Hutton is. He's a he's kind of objective but like kindly guy. Yeah, I, I tried to get him on the show, but he's so sought after in, in addition to mm -hmm. teaching and continuing you had to settle for me what well, not well <laughs> oh not settling <laughs> you're it was great you approached us and i really appreciate it but no i i did mm -hmm. I've, I've i've pestered him uh to to the to the limit i think of his patience so <laughs> <laughs> but I, I i would love to talk to him but I, I am going to finish reading his books and probably do a deep dive on murray and on um on his take on murray so but this is a wonderful yeah, introduction. Yeah. We need to, to talk about this more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so where are things in Wicca today? I, I don't understand. Uh, is it entirely like it? It almost sounds like it's spread out like cells in a terrorist organization. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how is it actually organized? Is there like a central leadership at all? No, not at all. There are several, um, like there are several churches of Wicca, especially in America, because they um, they want to do things like they wanted to get to be Wiccan, to have Wiccan chaplains and in, in prisons and stuff. So they've set up groups for those purposes. But I, I think most witches don't belong to any of them and don't really care about them. Um, it's just all over the place. It, like you say, it's like little cells here and there doing their own thing. I think um, actually uh, Dorian Valiente, who I mentioned earlier, she had this like joke that she made often. She was like, there are three types of witches. I think this is still true today, but slightly slightly altered so she said there's reincarnated witches um who've been witch many times many lives and then there's the first witch life witches so the reincarnated witches they don't really care about it so much that it's just like oh i'm just a witch i've always been a witch no big deal the first life witch wicker is this is your first life as a witch you wicker is like your religion and you're all enthusiastic and knowledgeable about metaphysics and stuff and then the third type are the type she's always said like a bit snarkily they're the ones with the best jewelry and I think what she's, even back then, there were people who see, you know, like, which is like a fun label that they're playing with an identity. It's not something they're particularly serious about. Although I think mm -hmm. like, and I think the same sort of true today, you have the kind of the modern reincarnated witches, you might think of them as like modern cunning folk. So they're just people out doing their little herbal remedies. They don't think of themselves as witches or Wiccan. They're just doing their thing, maybe doing using recipes mm -hmm. passed on for generations. Maybe they're also into some like tarot or that sort of stuff. Um, and they're generally like mm -hmm. 
they're solitary they're living out on the sticks they're just getting on with their own thing they like they might not even celebrate this the festivals the eight wheel of the year they might just you know live in tune with nature because they live in the countryside and there's wiccans they're big on building community and they're the ones who put wiccan on their census forms and they will often belong to a tradition or a coven and i'm thinking of those in the terms of uh, what dorian valiente would call the first life which is they're enthusiastic about wicca and wicca as a religion and then the third type the type with the best jewelry they're more like and the, these are the majority they're <laughs> like the eclectic witches and they're doing all sorts of things and they're picking up stuff off all different places online and they're experimenting with things and they are like they're younger and they're being influenced by other cultures and they're they're generally solitary but but with a bit of an online community maybe and i think they also i mean her little jab about the best jewelry is kind of true but also there's this like witchcraft and art are very close and there's mm-hmm. a lot of kind of there are a lot of very famous artists there's like leonora carrington remedius farrow like there's lots of artists who were witches and who expressed themselves and worked magic through their painting and through their art in fact there's a great she's sort of an art historian but also a witch who wrote a book um, called Waking the Witch and she talks about how for since the beginning of Wicca they sort of blurred the line between magic and art so that like you can roll your eyes and say oh it doesn't make you a witch to wear a pentagram and do your eyeliner all funny but actually there is something very powerful in the way we present ourselves and there is a kind of there's an insta witch there's the witches of Instagram and they're doing their thing so yeah I think it's really hard to talk about what this is because it is just such a, a beautiful mess, a beautiful chaos yeah. of different people who the word which means different things to them. As you say, uh, I think it's easily something we could talk about all day. There's just so many aspects to this, uh, but we should probably close off on the interview for now. Uh, but although there's a lot more that we can talk about in, in other interviews, I think. But we've just got one final question we'd like to ask you, and you are a listener, so mm-hmm. you're aware of this one. And that's Rebecca. What's your favourite monster? Well, oh, what a surprise. I've been preparing for this as a listener. I always, this is the piece I'm always excited about. Um, so my favourite monster is the Fiji mermaid. Oh, lovely choice. I like him because I think he's like a sceptical icon. He's, he's the, the creature that reminds us that in the Victorian times or whenever, people were completely fooled and they thought these things, which were just monkeys and fish sewn together, were, were real mermaids. And, you know, like people like mm-hmm. Petey Barnum would traipse around and show them off to people and believe people believe they were mermaids and it just it's like a nice reminder to think what are the things today that are being traipsed around that might not be real that we won't know because it's outside Mm -hmm. of our cultural context because i don't think the people who believed they were mermaids were stupid they just couldn't see Mm -hmm. it and there's one in my local museum in brighton here in the uk so i have that that particular guy tattooed on my arm as a reminder to think skeptically about the strange things i might encounter very cool (laughs) I'm always surprised at just how many guests come up with a completely original answer to this question. And I think that's an original well, one. Well, I thought it was quite original, but I was at a skeptics conference a couple of years ago and I met a guy and he was like, oh, I have a um, tattoo website where I feature skeptical tattoos. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. I have a skeptical tattoo. I've got the Fiji mermaid. And his friend who was with him was like, oh, me too. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I think, <laughs> coincidence. Um, I think like he was a bit put out. Because, you know, a big thing about tattoos is their originality. But I was super excited. I was like, twinsies, Mm -hmm. let's get a photo together. (laughs) (laughs) I I love seeing any of those um, sort of mocked up, you know, fantasy creatures. And and we did an episode where we talked about how they're built. And I just find that so fascinating. uh, Because in general, you would think it wouldn't fly today. But I still, I mean, 
the Minnesota Iceman's still on display. There's there's still places in the world where you can go see gaffs and uh, uh, pickled punks and all that sort of thing. It's amazing. Yeah, the one mm-hmm. the one in the museum near me, they did they X-rayed him um, to see what he was made of, and I was a bit disappointed because he isn't a monkey and a fish. He's just a fish and paper mache. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, pretty cool. that seems to be the more common one. Yeah, that seems to be. It, it seems like uh, most of the ones I've read about have actually turned out to be half fish because that's easy to come by. Yeah. And then wireframe mm-hmm. and, and some sort of a structure around it. Yeah. yeah. Monkey, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, clearly inspired by monkey, though. Monkey inspired. I think that yeah. it's, about, it's all about the marketing. Peppy and Meshing. Yeah, it's about the same size of like a, a macaque monkey, this, yeah. this guy. Wow. That's amazing. Well, this has been really a fun conversation and a good one for October. It has. Yeah, so. yes, yes, happy Halloween. Good. Happy Samhain, everyone. Yeah. And so that, <laughs> happy is Halloween. that like Sam Hain? But <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mentioned it because, I mean, I... That spell that Rebecca did didn't work. Well, she's married. I'm married. It's just... <laughs> the sewing up your we mouth. We do encourage <laughs> listeners to sit in dark rooms and think about me. That's important. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they already are. It is. That's not creepy at all. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving myself the coughs. Okay. Or did I? Maybe someone else did. Okay. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we've run long, but I really appreciate it. And hopefully the recording turned out okay. I apologize. I think on yeah on my end, everything's looking good. But as soon as we finished, I'll, yeah. I'll send it to you and you can. Yeah, hopefully. Mine, mine, just check just it so over. you know, mine's turned out to be a series of 30 to 45 second snippets uh, with gaps in between. It's ridiculous. So it just keeps oh, stopping. No. Yeah, you need to uninstall yeah, and reinstall or reboot. It. Oh, I'll, I'll see what geez. I can do, but that, that won't fly. That's, un, that's unfortunate. Anyway, thank you so much. This is really fascinating. It's something we've been wanting to talk about. And, uh, I'm, I was yeah, super thank you excited. For to us so I'm late. sorry if I spoke way too fast. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. No, not this at all. It'll be great. So thanks a lot. And, uh, both of you, uh, have a great afternoon or evening. Thank you. Evening. Yes. yes. It's nine yeah. o'clock here. Uh, and thanks to your husband for sparing you. What's up? This is all good. (laughs) No, that was, that was a lot of fun. Thank you. It was really nice for getting in touch with us. Yeah. I was crazy nervous and excited to be on the show because I've been listening forever. It's like a big deal to me. So thank you. Didn't sound nervous at all. Like you didn't come across. You you met me in real life. You know what a goofball I am. (laughs) (laughs) He is. It's like, and and, and Karen's not at all intimidating. I don't think so. I don't think we're. we're All right. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Thank you. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You've been listening to a discussion of Wicca and modern witchcraft with Rebecca Fox. You can find links to more information about this topic and to Rebecca's creative work in the show notes. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, 
you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Special thanks to Sean Parks for his help editing this episode. Monster Talk's theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you so much for listening and for your generosity. In a Monster House presentation. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.